Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 4, Episode 1, the Digital Nomad Series. This is for Saturday the 5th of June 2021. Coming up this week, I'll bring you up to date with what I've been up to for the past couple of months after you left me in Torrevieja and planning to return to the UK. I'll be explaining the Digital Nomad reference in the show title and as a plot spoiler, we're on our travels again. And I'll let you know what I've been up to with my marketing. And in a second plot spoiler... It involves a BookBub featured deal. Okay, we'll start today with the personal update. And it's quite long and there's quite a lot to it. A lot's happened since we last spoke. But I kind of need to do this first so that you understand what comes next. So please excuse me if you're not interested in the personal update. Maybe just put it on quadruple speed, something like that, and, and listen for the main nuggets. So we are back in the UK. You'll probably hear my chair squeaking at some point. It was squeaking a moment. Oh, there it is. There we go. It just creaked there. You'll hear my chair squeaking. I'm back in the chair again and back at my desk uh, to record. So uh, we were back in the UK on Friday the 9th of April. And if you recall, when you left me in Torrevieja in March, at the end of March, which seems amazing that that was the end of March now, I was. I think we'd extended the, the villa rental until the end of April. And we were really going to wait for our, our moment to dash back to the UK. And a couple of things affected that at the end. We got our Spanish paperwork, as you know, but we had to wait 10 weeks until we could pick up the, the little plastic driving license kind of cards that we needed for our Spanish TAs. And so we were thinking, right, OK, are we going to wait in Spain until hopefully we get offered our injections? Or should we dash back? And there are other factors involved, like, you know, our, our is the UK government suddenly going to make us pay a fortune to quarantine in unsuitable hotels at airports? Or are we going to be allowed to quarantine at home? There are all these sort of factors involved. And also the factor that the kids uh, needed kind of a house back <laughs> so that they could stay in it. And uh, over summer, uh, we were, you know, that clock was ticking as well. I also wanted to make sure that we, we made our first attempt early, just in case there was any kind of problem with paperwork. There were all sorts of stories in the papers about Brits being turned away because this wasn't right, that wasn't right. So I just wanted to allow for a turnaway from the airport, kind of a problem with paperwork or an issue. Uh, and I'd, I'd left basically two extra flights that we could have taken before the end of April if that had happened. So it was all fairly kind of convoluted, but travelling in COVID times is, is fairly complicated. So we were back in the UK on Friday the 9th of April and because all our stuff was in storage what I did is I booked a an apartment in the city and we just went straight there and we quarantined for our 10 days uh, because we couldn't go and get stuff out of storage or anything like that you know we needed somewhere to stay and have as a base with a washing machine and all the things that you need so we went to an apartment in the city we had to do um, a covid test before we left Torrevieja we, that was quite interesting, actually. We went to a, a, a private place that was doing them. That was really impressive, actually, the way they did that. And that was the first COVID test I'd ever had, incidentally. I've done a lot more since, but that was the first we'd ever had. That was done at a private clinic in Torrevieja, just up the road from where we were living. So that was that was clear. We did our paperwork, jumped on the plane, uh, you know, came back, stayed into the apartment. UK rules meant that we had to have a test on days two and days eight so we'd book those i had also paid extra to get a test on day five the rule in the uk is that you can have a, a fast release test on day five but you've got to pay for it if you want it so that almost went well because mine turned up and i was clear but my wife's test didn't turn up it went awol so that ended up being uh, pointless because you know obviously the wife couldn't uh, be released after the five days so we had to wait that out and the minute the minute that we were clear we got the all clear 
we were off and we'd booked our COVID tests, uh, not COVID tests, our COVID jabs. So we had it as the minute, the moment that we, we could have done, we had our first uh, COVID jab. So that also then meant, of course, when we were out of quarantine, that we could start sorting the house out, get things you know out of storage and things like that. Now, in terms of that, I have a, a garage at the moment that's absolutely packed with boxes and those boxes probably won't get opened so we're living in the house at the moment with just kind of what we need rather than everything when you know when all the pictures are still uh, covered in bubble wrap and things like that the reason for that is that we think that it's quite likely it's very likely actually that we might be heading back to Spain in November once again you know the kids are all sorted out again now one of the problems with all of this and, and, and frankly it's COVID that's messed everything up because it all would have been much simpler if, if COVID wasn't around. The, the problem with this was is that the kids uh, needed, obviously, a place to stay in the UK. And originally, we'd intended for the kids to come and join us in December for Christmas and in Easter. And the original plan was is that we'd all probably come back uh, maybe Easter time, something like that, to the UK and, and pay visits and things. But, of course, when we left for Spain, things were getting worse in the UK at that time. We had another, another lockdown while we were away. And the kids were unable to travel to come and see us. And that kind of messed all the plans up, really, because we've got a nice house with bedrooms for everybody. And we ended up not needing all that space. You know, my mum was supposed to come out and see us, but that never happened too. So we've had to change our plans. And of course, the clock was always ticking because the kids needed somewhere to stay in summer. Now, originally, in non-COVID times, the kids would have just jumped on a plane and joined us for summer. That's what they normally would have done. But there was no way we could guarantee that at the moment. I mean, we still can't guarantee it. I know that the UK's done very well with the, the vaccines, but we've got all these variants flying around. And really, we still can't plan. Much as we'd love to, much as we're all desperate to, we still can't plan. So I needed to bottom line it and make sure the kids had somewhere to stay in summer. So we're back here, we're back in the UK, and I'm organising some other little bits and pieces to make sure that the kids always have a base in the UK, regardless of where we are, the kids would always have a place that they can stay uh, in the UK. Uh, and I'm sorting that out at the moment. So all the little things that we've learned, all the little things that changed while we were in Spain for six, seven months, we are working on those now in the UK to put them right. So for instance, you know, if COVID is, sticks around for another two years and we're restricted and, and things ebb and flow again, just just say that's the case with all the variants and things like that, you know, until till we kind of vaccinate the world, which is not an impossible scenario, then I, I need to make sure that whatever happens, if there's a lockdown, my kids have got somewhere to stay that isn't university out of summer term time. So I'm, I'm doing all of that right now. And um, then we'll think about whether we're going abroad again. Now, the other thing is that we were committed. I don't know whether I told you this. Because we need these plastic cards, it was going to take 10 weeks for these cards to come. In the end, we decided, let's go back. Let's sort the kids out. Let's get our vaccinations. Because um, if we were in Spain, as, as British there... I've told you before, I think, that you have to have as a condition of residency there uh, private health cover. We would have got our COVID vaccines, but because we were on private health cover, we would not have got them as soon as we did in the UK. I, th I think probably if we'd have been sp in Spain, what are we now, June? I think we probably would have got them June, July in Spain. Um, so we wouldn't have had them yet, I don't think. And not that it was a problem because the, the rates in Spain, we never felt unsafe in Spain. In the whole six months we were there, everything felt really good in Spain, COVID-wise. 
So, uh, you know, and that's that's a great tribute to them because I think they managed it really well out there. We certainly felt extremely safe for six months. So we were committed to come back for our TA cards. And what we decided is that we would come back to the UK, sort the kids out, get our two COVID jabs, and then we would go back to Spain for maybe four days before the summer holidays, before people start traveling and the planes get busy. And we would pick up our residency cards and then that would be everything done at once. Now, there's a twist to this. and This is the digital nomad comment in the headlines. We were going to see two of the kids who lived down or who were at university down south, further down south. And we'd hired a, an apartment in the city. And just before we were about to leave, the, the night before we were about to leave, a little email uh, arrived in my inbox. And the email was from Visit Benidorm, which in very simple terms is a bit like the tourist office for Benidorm. And they were holding a competition to find some digital nomads, people who worked remotely, people who could work on laptops, which lets, it's exactly what I've just done for the last six months, you know, people who have a non-location dependent job. They were looking for three digital nomads because they're doing a special program in Benidorm to attract Benid, uh, digital nomads to the area. It's part of the kind of reviving the holiday industry after COVID. And all you had to do, well, you had a, a form, a, a form and loads of questions about your business and social media and things like that to complete. And you had to record a video. And I looked at this and I said to my wife, I know this is terrible timing. This is terrible, but I'd really like to do this. <laughs> so we did it pretty well straight away because we were, we were down south visiting the kids the next day. So I had to turn it around really fast. I filled in the form, which was fine. And then because we barely had anything out of storage at that time, my wife perched her mobile phone on an ironing board to keep her hand steady and she videoed me and we set up my my desk with a screen and a and a Benidorm mug and I did a a, a one take recording uh, answering all the questions they wanted us to answer and and then we thought that was a good take. That's fine. You know, we haven't got time to mess around with this. You weren't allowed to edit it or anything like that, which actually was a blessing because if I'd have edited it, I'd have been messing around with it for ages. It had to be a one-take um, video. Uh, no, no editing, you know, no effects, nothing like that. So we went down to have our evening meal. And my wife said, you know, thinking about it, I think you ought to put certain details at the front and, and just move it around a little bit. And, and I said, okay, that's fine, let's do that. So after our tea, we went upstairs, she balanced her mobile phone. This is, I know this is not quite sort of Instagram influencer levels. She balanced her mobile phone on the ironing board. <laughs> if you could have seen the other view rather than the view on me, I think it would have been quite comedic. And, uh, and I then did a second recording on the video and uh, you know, put the details in a slightly different order, which my wife had recommended. And actually, when we watched it back, we said, "Yeah, that's that's it. That's the one." So I just sent the thing off, and I didn't expect to get it. I honestly thought that they would be looking for, you know, trendy, beautiful, uh, six-packed, uh, you know, beautifully dressed Instagrammers who would be leaping up on the beach, um, you, you know, expressing their great joy at, at being in Benidorm. That's what I thought it would be. And you know, at my age, I can't even jump more than a foot. So. I didn't think I stood a chance in heck, you know, as a middle-aged white guy with grey hair. I just didn't think they'd be interested at all. So we went off to see the kids. And on the last day that we were seeing the kids, another email pops into my inbox. And I've been, I'm one of the selected digital nomads. They want me to come to Spain. They're putting us up in a in an apartment for a month. And we're taking part in this, in this project. They're, they're taking us out on tours, on trips around the resort. So they want us to feed back to them about our digital nomad experience. 
And in actual fact, they've chosen five of us rather than three because they've had some really good entries. And when I looked at the videos of the other entrants, as it turned out, they didn't go for kind of, you know, young Instagram influencers. They went for 30-something pluses. I'm the oldest, unfortunately, or I think I am. Uh, they went for, for older people, maturer people with proper uh, businesses, you know, businesses that you would recognize. Uh, all of them can be run from laptops, of course, because that's the digital nomad requirement. And and so I'm off to Benidorm. Now, the timing of this was not perfect. It created complications because it actually, we're going to go to Benidorm from the 7th of June to the 7th of July. And that fell right in the heart of when I was going to pick kids up from university. So the reason that uh, this podcast has been recorded a lot later than usual is because I've I've done a rush job. We we managed to get our second COVID jabs early. I did that yesterday on Friday. Had the COVID jab. My wife and I wanted to go out to Spain with the second COVID jab if we could. We managed to get bumped because they're doing a big kind of catch up with people of my age at the moment, and because of the variants, rather than having to wait the twelve weeks which we've been waiting in the UK, they're letting our age group um, bump our our second vaccine. So rather than having to wait the full. 12 weeks, which I would have meant I got my second vaccine on the 7th of July, which is actually the date we would have come back from Benidorm. We managed to ring the doctor's surgery. My wife did. Uh, she said, we're going to Spain. Can we get the second vaccine? They said yes. We joined an amazingly efficient setup at the, the local surgery yesterday. Absolutely incredible. They've just done such a good job, the NHS, in this country. And we were in, or out, in and out within about five minutes. I could feel my sore arm right now. I've had my second jab, and so that makes me feel a lot better about you know being being out in Spain, and obviously in Spain all the all the rules will be followed anyway while we're doing all of this, and, and so then I also hired a van. The van is parked out on the drive as I speak. When I've edited this and made it live, I'm going to take it back to the higher place. I've got a big van. I've been I've been white van man driving a van around, <laughs> much bigger than I'd like to. I tell you, it's quite a size this van, and I managed to get two of the kids' stuff back, and it's all packed in the garage in boxes. And so the kids have come home like a month early and they're going to they're going to house it for us while we're away for a month. They've got the house themselves, which I can't believe having been locked up in their student accommodation since September. So we're all sorted and we leave for Spain again on Sunday. Now, next time you hear me podcast, I'm assuming that I'm going to be in Spain. There are so many complications, difficulties, if buts and maybes about traveling at the moment. But interestingly, because we have residency paperwork, we are we would always have been able to travel from the UK. So there's a big hoo-ha at the moment about green amber and red lists in the UK. And um, you're not supposed to travel to an amber country, and Spain is an amber country. Well, because we've got our residency paperwork, we are actually allowed, regardless of what's going on, to travel to Spain. We just have to flash our, our as a mo at the moment, it's printed paperwork rather than being the proper formal plastic card that we're going to get. Uh, so, so whatever happens, in whatever scenario, we are in theory allowed to travel to Spain anyway, regardless. Now we've got the paperwork. So I'll believe it when we actually get it done. But we are going to drive to Newcastle. I don't want to touch any trains or anything like that. We'll drive to Newcastle Airport. We'll jump on the plane on Sunday. Uh, we're going to Alicante, first of all. We're not going to go straight to Benidorm. We've booked a hotel in Alicante uh, because we arrive late Sunday night, early Monday morning. And then first thing in Alicante, we'll get a bit of breakfast in the city. We're then going to go and pick up our plastic cards. Then we will jump on the tram and go to Benidorm. And we check in on the 7th of June ready for the Digital Nomad program in Benidorm, which begins on Tuesday the 8th of June. And there are all sorts of things set up for us. We're going on a nice um, 
national park tour on electric bikes. There's a safari being set up for us. We're having all sorts of kind of nice eatery events. And one of them, I'm hoping, we're, we're going on a, on a tall building with great views. And I'm hoping there's a, there's a really amazing building in Benidorm. We photographed it several times. I'm hoping it's going to be in there because um, last time we were in Benidorm, we wanted to go up in the lifts. It's like going up in the, what is it? The Shard, isn't it, in London? It's a wonderful building like the Shard in London. Um, and you can pay to go up in it, but not in COVID times, obviously. So I'm hoping it's good to be there. We're also good to go on a boat trip and, you know, have cocktails, I think, on the boat trip and watch the sun go down. I'm hoping we go to the island that's just uh, beyond the beach at Benidorm. So they've got all sorts of kind of wonderful activities sorted out for us. And then we have uh, debrief meetings with the other digital nomads. So we, we basically feed back and say, well, as a digital nomad, this is what I need. That didn't work for me. That's kind of the scenario. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. And the great thing is, is although they pay for us for the month, the great thing is, is that the program isn't packed at all. We're really doing one meeting and one activity per week so there's plenty of time around that to do other things and the sorts of things that we want to do so two of the kids are safely at home all their stuff is back at home the other child who's at university further north from us uh, he could leave his stuff in his room over summer so when he's ready to come back at the end of his term when his lease ends he will just pack up his bags jump on the on the train um, he's only an hour away and he will come and join the other two and by the time we get back from Spain we'll have our three kids back for summer so talk about military planning and operations that's really what it feels like it's been over the past couple of weeks and you know that's my that's my fault you know when we came back from the from Spain we should have just you know settled sorted the house out got our life back together again you know done all the postal redirections and all the things we have to do when you've been back after a long time and instead, what did Paul decide to do? He decided to stick a big stick inside the wasp's nest and give it a great big shake and see what happened. So anyhow, you see, the thing is, as I said to my wife, you know, we're going out to Spain anyway to pick up the cards. We, we may as well do it taking part in a, in a really great project and being paid for to be in Benidorm for a month. You know, we, rather than do it ourselves, we might as well do it as part of this programme. Um, and the other thing I'm going to do while we're back in Spain is we've arranged to just uh, go back to Torrevieja to see our translator who's sorting out for me things called digital certificates. And those digital certificates allow me, you'll have heard me moaning about the sort of level of administration in Spain. When you've got a digital certificate, you can avoid all of that. You can do everything online. It's just a slightly different process. And you have to go to a municipal office to confirm your identity and get your code to enable you to do that. Now, we didn't have, we couldn't do that last time because our official documents weren't through. But now I've got my official documents, I can get a digital certificate. And that means I can do Spanish administration from the UK with this digital certificate, which endorses all my uh, documents. So I understand that that is a long way round of bringing you right up to date at a personal level. But that's important because it's good to bear on what I tell you next about what I'm writing and what I'm doing and things like that. So the Reader's Digest version is we're back from the UK, we're back in the house, I'm back at my desk, I'm back at my creaky chair. I don't think it's, I don't, it hasn't really creaked very much, has it today? So, you know, it's, it's part of a feature of the show so hopefully it will start to creak a little bit more maybe it's it's kind of healed itself while it's been in storage for the last six to seven months um, back at my desk um, and life still isn't back to normal you know we're still chasing our tails trying to get ourselves um, organized two of the kids back in the house one coming back in a couple of weeks time off his own steam and we are going back to spain on sunday the 7th of june 
and we will be out in Spain working on the Digital Nomad project till the 7th of July. And I'm hoping that the world hasn't gone into hell in a handcart by that stage so that we can get back to the UK. We are expecting to have to do 10 days quarantine when we get back. But if we're really lucky, if we're really lucky, the numbers will have gone down. And in the UK, they'll be letting holiday makers back and Spain will be on the green list. So fingers crossed that that happens. Okay, that's you up to date with the personal stuff. Now let me do the writing stuff. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of Vellum, the best way to format your publications in Mobi, EPUB or paperback format. When you buy Vellum through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort producing this podcast. All of my books are produced in Vellum, and I even have a simple guide to using Vellum on a PC over at my blog. Just head for paulteague.net forward slash use Vellum and download your free PDF how-to guide. So, to check out the best formatting software on the planet, head over to paulteague.net forward slash vellum. The first thing to tell you then about my writing, and I feel like I'm in a confessional here, is I haven't even started my third Morecambe Bay trilogy. I haven't planned it. It's not ready to go. I haven't started writing it. Nothing has happened since I last spoke to you at the end of March. There's a number of reasons for that. Frankly, I'm just up to my ears with things. The the reason this podcast was later today was I'm just running around all over the place at the moment. It's been constant for, well, ever since we came back to the UK, and it doesn't seem to have settled down. So, you know, that, that that's the reason. There's just no space. There's, there literally is no space in my world at the moment to sit down and write 5,000 words of fiction a day. And the other thing is, is I was planning to, to, to get that sort of shape, the plan, the plot sorted out while we were in Spain. But in the end, I just decided that I was enjoying myself so much. I didn't want to. <laughs> that, that's really the bottom line. I just didn't want to do it. Now, this brings us back to a, a core component of being... A writer because I've got 30 odd books now. I haven't written any fiction for the last what eight or nine months while I've been in Spain. I, I, was, I had intended to just carry on working in Spain at my normal rate but we just ended up enjoying it so much I thought I'm not going to do that I'm just going to have a really nice time out in Spain and remember my six months in Spain was paid for by writing. That was my big treat to myself for all the work that I've done on my books in, in the past so many years. So not only had writing, uh, you know, paid for and facilitated that trip to Spain, what it allowed me to do was to continue to generate income while I was in Spain without actually having to write. So what I've done for six months, of course, I've done marketing. I've been promoting the books. I've been trying for book bubs. That, that's mainly what I've been doing. I did, of course, write my author platform book, and I did start writing another book, which I'll tell you about in a moment or two, uh, another nonfiction book. But I've had a lovely time over the last six months. I decided when I was out there, you know what? I don't want to spoil this. Not spoil it, but I don't want to interfere with it by doing writing. I just want to have a nice time out in Spain with my wife. It was great. And I've had a whale of a time. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant time out in Spain. I loved doing it. It was great. And I, I can't wait to be able to do it again. But there wasn't really a lot of room for writing fiction. And again, this is a self-imposed goal. I did say that um, to my readers at the end of the last book, I said, oh, the, the next Morecambe Bay trilogy will be out before the end of the year. Well, really what that means is I need to have one Morecambe Bay trilogy out by the end of the year. I don't have to. All, the, all my deadlines are self-imposed. So my, my headspace really isn't ready to write fiction yet. It's not even ready to think about it. I have been for months writing down. I've got loads of scenes uh, for it, loads and loads of scenes for books. But I, I still haven't got that overarching story. 
that gives me kind of the passionate fuel that I need to write what is it 225,000 words you know when you when you write a trilogy I've done a lot of trilogies now you need to have this kind of fuel to make sure that those books are going to have the same energy over three books and I haven't got the story the concept yet and I think that's because I just haven't got the headspace yet you know my <clears throat> mind's all over the place when I was in Spain I was thinking about PCR tests flights are we going to get back you know how are we going to house ourselves when we've got 10 days quarantine and now I'm back in the UK I'm sorting out address changes you know letting everybody know um, you know that we're back and, and, and that the electricity is connected again and the broadband's connected again all these things that you've got to do I'm sorting kids out I just got too much on at the moment so I'm just cutting myself some slack but the important thing about an author business here is that because I've got so many books I just keep selling the books I've already written and the income keeps coming in I don't have to write to make income I do in the first place, obviously, to have a, a hardcore of books, but I don't have to keep writing to keep the income coming in. Those books are income-producing assets, the ones that I've written before. And so what I've concentrated on doing is I'm just selling the books I've already written, even though I haven't written any new ones. And so the income has kept coming in, even though I haven't been writing. And this is, I, I've always wanted to have this, you know, digital nomad version, this kind of type of work since I left the BBC and I, I have finally achieved it and so you know it's really quite fitting I think that I take part of this digital nomad project because this is what I've been aiming for ever since I left the BBC to have a business that I could take with me that I could switch on switch off and the problem with internet marketing is that you know I couldn't really have gone away I used to make good money on internet marketing launches but I couldn't have gone away and just you know kept selling the old course um, because they, they only had a limited time span because of the way we sold them. Whereas now, with my books, I can keep selling them even though I'm not writing. I've got those income-producing assets. So I really feel like this is the demonstration of everything that I've been trying to, to work towards in the last 10 years since I worked or I left the BBC. There have been loads of missteps in between, like you know, like going for internet marketing and then realizing no, that's you know, this I just always got gonna be launching. I'm always gonna be in launch mode with internet marketing and I do a lot of work for projects and sure you make good money from them, but you know, that's gotta last you for a long time. Whereas with books, you can keep selling them all the time and they can keep bringing you income in all the time. So if you're on your first book and this is something that you aspire to, you know, keep writing those books. This is what you create with an author business, an indie author business. The ability to just, you know, to go off. And, and frankly, of course, you know, I've been off having having a jolly, having some fun. But it, it, Joanna Panner said this, that it, allow, it has allowed Joanna Penn, for instance, to go off when she had family who were ill and needed, needed family support. It's a really privileged position, but you have to do the work in the first place. You have to get the critical mass of books in the first place to allow you to do that. Now... I was planning, now I've got my desk back, now I've got my workspace back and everything. I've got my computer back, by the way, also. Um, I needed to get my main computer back for the, one of my children who's had it for the last eight or nine months. And I had to wrestle it from their, their hands because they've enjoyed using it. Um, I've got all my kit back now, but I was going to start writing in, uh, or planning in June and then start writing in July. But now I'm going to Benidorm, that's not happening. You know, I'm, I'm going to go out and enjoy the month of Benidorm. I want to focus on the activities that we need to do for the Digital Nomad program. And uh, I, I'm not going to be writing or planning while I'm out there. So realistically now, I'm not going to, we're going to, we've, we're back on the 7th of July. The earliest I'm going to start planning the Walker Bay trilogy, the last trilogy, is where we're back from Spain. 
and I would guess the earliest I'm going to start writing it is probably August. So August, September, October. I did do some planning the other day to, to say to myself, could I still have a trilogy written by November, which is when we're planning to go back to Spain again, even if it's just for a month, we're planning to go back in November. And I can, if I write three days a week, I can still have that trilogy written by the end of October. Whether I will or not, I don't know. But you know, it's it, it's my business. I'm the boss. I decide when I write the books. This is the freedom that we work for when we sit there for hours, banging out the text for these books. And at the moment, domestically in my life, I kind of I need that flexibility. So uh, I, I don't know when I'm going to write that trilogy. I still certainly intend to write it. But as I said to you a moment or two ago, I need the sort of headspace to sit down and think about it without running around all the time sorting things out domestically. Now, we are in a position now domestically, we're fine, you know, we're sorted well enough. I know everything's still packed. My wife still still can't find the small plates. They're in there somewhere. Those small plates are in there somewhere, but we cannot find them. So, you know, we're still trying to find little bits that were packed away and we thought we'd labelled everything really well and we we haven't. So we're still trying to find little bits and pieces. (laughs) But... um, you know, bar that, we have a kitchen, I have a desk, everybody's got a room set up, everybody's got their bed back, you know, we, we are all capable now of sort of living in the house, which is great. So when I get back from Spain, I'm hoping then that we'll be ready to, you know, to settle down and sort things out. The other thing that I didn't tell you when we were in Spain, because I didn't know which way the wind blows uh, was going to blow, was my mum has been really quite ill. Um, you know, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you'll know that, um, my mum and I have been playing Scrabble virtually every day since lockdown began. Well, while we were out in Spain, I didn't mention this um, in, in the last podcast because I really didn't know which way the wind was going to blow. It wasn't looking very good at that time. Uh, my mum had a, a blood clot and was, was really quite, um, and it is still poorly with it, um, and had to go to hospital. And because we were in COVID times, no one could go with her. She couldn't have visitors. Thank goodness she was able to tweet and remember to take her phone. Um, my sister lives around the road, and my mum was having sort of problems. And my sister went round and said, "You know, take the phone." So at least my mum was able to get messages out. But there were times when, frankly, we didn't know whether she was going to, to live, you know, live or die with it. So it was really quite serious stuff with this for a while. But the good news is, I, I won't keep you hanging on with this. You know, my mum is at home now again. We've made a couple of changes. So we've uh, we needed to make a couple of changes for at home. She's having a stair lift put in today. Actually, um, she's still able to drive, but she, she uh, she's she, she's really sort of quite um, you know limited by this, uh, and it's very very um, frustrating. It's not knocked her back a lot. She's not able to do those daily uh, calls for Scrabble. So at the moment, I'm I'm skyping her in between whenever I've got a minute, and I'm not on the road driving white vans and things like that. You know, I'm checking in with her, making sure she's okay. It's really lovely to know that my sister's there, just round the corner, because my sister would tell us if there was anything wrong. Um, but but mummy's okay, um, thank goodness. But it's been a bit um, you know touch and go as these things are for the last couple of months with her but I think things seems to be stable right now and she's back in her house which is the main thing and what we're now doing is making all the uh, you know changes um, that she needs to make sure she can stay in her house um, whatever happens so there's, there's a lot going on so that, that's kind of why I'm not really um, writing at the moment I have other fish to fry at the moment but the, I think the core component for this podcast is when you've written books you could use those books to keep the income coming in even when you're doing other things. And that's the kind of business that we're, we're building here. Okay, let's carry on. 
I don't know whether you got it. I think it was March of 23rd. I think it came out on my birthday, actually. The Wide for the Wind book that Mike Lefebvre has written. I have been recommending on this podcast the Wide for the Wind Facebook group. And by the way, I'm pretty sure on this podcast, didn't I exclusively predict that they would get so big that they would start to hold events? Well, you heard it here first, because the other day I got a questionnaire from them saying we are planning to hold events in the US, in the UK, and maybe in Europe, I'm not sure where else. And they were taking some information, details about what kind of things you'd want in those events. So we're going to be really set up very well as indie authors with Wide for the Win events, 20 Books events and Mark Dawson events, when, obviously when all of these things get going again because of COVID. Um, but yeah, they're, they're going to start doing events, which I think is, is just fantastic. People focusing only on on wide marketing. So anyhow, I, I got the Wide for the Wind book from Mark Lefebvre and started reading the Wide for the Wind book. And I, I was a little bit disappointed, in, not in the, in the quality of the book or the information, just that for me and my low attention span, it was quite academic. There was a lot of background about Kobo and various things like that stuff that I didn't really want to know I was expecting to read it and just get loads of marketing tips and tell me what I need to do and what I need to know about this and tell me all the tricks and things like that that's really what I was after and, and the book is sort of quite substantial and it's quite academic and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it and I would still say to you that Mark Lefebvre is the man he's the man I cannot think of a man who's better placed or a person who's better placed than Mark Lefebvre to write that book because he worked for Kobo for years I think he was a, you know, a book a bookseller himself for years, and and now he self publishes. He he really knows the industry well, is tremendously well connected. So I'm still going to say to you, as as I have done, you need to get the wide for the win book if you are marketing wide. You you need to sort of read it and you need to to understand it. But for me, with my attention span of a gnat, there was a lot of academia in there, and I found myself skipping a lot of bits to say, right, let's just get back to the meat of this. Let's get get the meat. What do I need to know? What do I need to do? Which is really all I ever want to know in a non-fiction book. Um, you know, it's like <laughs> stop all the kissing and get on with a film. You know, when you're watching romantic films, stop all the kissing, get on with the plot. It, it, it's like that. And, and that's how I felt with the book. So, you know, it's an essential read. But when I was reading it, I thought, you know, what I want is just, uh, you know, what do I need to do on Draft the Digital? What do I need to do on Google? What do I need to know about Publish Drive? I, I want a more bullet pointy book that tells me what to do. Um, and, and so I started writing in response to that, my own version of that book, the book that I would want with my low attention span. And I've called this book, its working title is Your Essential Guide to Publishing Wide. And I started writing this out in Spain when I realised there was no chance I was going to do the Walk and Bay trilogy. I started writing this, and I can't remember how many words I'm into it because I haven't touched it since I got back from Spain. But th- this is what I'm working on, you know, while I'm not working on the um, Walk and Bay trilogy, which I know I should be working on. I just felt, well, I could at least be productive. But this was really my response to reading the, the Wide for the Wind book. It, this is a like the Reader's Digest version. And it's obviously, you know, who, who am I? I? I'm not Mark Lefebvre. And as I said, Mark Lefebvre is the person to write that book. He's the person to write the definitive book about marketing wide for the win. But I felt that for, for people like me who just all the questions I ever want to know is, you know, what do I need to do? What do I need to know? What do I need to do? That's always what I want that, when I'm on a podcast, when I read a non-fiction book, uh, you, you know, when, I, when I'm when i listening to a, a training, all I want to know is what do I need to know? What do I need to do? That's, that's all I want to know. I don't need any fluff. I just want, that's what I want. So I'm going to tr- try and write that book using my knowledge. And of course, I'm nowhere near as knowledgeable as Mark Lefebvre. 
But obviously, I have been marketing on all these channels for years, and I've made money on all of them. I've managed to get to number one in Apple Books as well, you know, using Draft to Digital. So I've got I've got reasonable um, credibility to write a book like that. Uh, but that's what I'm working on in nonfiction. Now it's what I call a chugger. It has no release date yet. Uh, uh, you know, no no particular plans for it. It just means when I'm not writing fiction, when I'm in Spain, I got a I got a nonfiction book that I could just be working on productively. And I do find nonfiction much easier to just put pick up, put down, pick up, put down. And I and I find that I can't do that with fiction. That's the problem. This is why I'm not writing The Walk of Baytridge. I need to focus and be in the zone when I'm writing fiction because I'm holding an awful lot of information in my head. And, and I just feel like I can't do that at the moment because I've got too much on. But hopefully we'll, we'll get back to that. So, yeah, a non-fiction book. I'm not going to set a publication date for it. But it means that when I'm not doing digital nomad-related work in Spain, I have got a book to be getting on with while I'm out there. And one of the things they give us as part of this prize package is we get access to a co-working area in the in the in the hotel we've got these apartments which all have desks that are set up for digital nomads but we also get a co-working space as well in the the hotel uh, sort of apartment hotel that we're staying in so I will try and get some writing done while I'm out there too but you know I want to enjoy myself you know my wife's coming and uh, I want to enjoy myself while I'm out there as well because that's that's the whole point of being a digital nomad now I did say that I needed to tell you about the digital nomad thing before I told you everything else because You'll know from the previous season on the podcast that I was winding down a lot of my social media because what I'd found had worked, when I had my five-figure months, what I found had worked was Facebook ads. You know, what was working for me was Facebook ads, BookBub featured deals, and writing in series. You know, that literally is my, my formula now. If you said, you know, what's your formula for making sales as an indie author? That's what I tell you. Facebook ads, BookBub featured deals, writing series those are if I boil everything down that I've learned so far that's what is working for me at the moment and when I had those five figure months um, putting tweets on on Twitter uh, on Facebook that had nothing to do with 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 anything that didn't bring any money in you know it didn't change the income or anything like that and I don't massively massively enjoy social media I have to tell you that you know I don't I don't massively enjoy it so what I did is I've been winding down my social media and it's been pretty dormant for a while and one of the things or the things that I did since I've come back to the UK and while I was just finishing off in Spain, well, basically, since I, I spoke to you last on this podcast, is um, I deleted LinkedIn. I deleted my two Instagram accounts, which I didn't really use anyway. I, I kind of wound up my YouTube channel. I had loads of videos uh, on my YouTube channel. And what I did with them is I made them uh, unlisted, which means that if I got them on a website or anything, they would still display but when, it, when you unlist your videos, it means basically that I didn't have that kind of front page portal with my name on and everything like that. I wasn't going to use YouTube, uh, you know, to build an audience, but I didn't want the old videos to suddenly disappear. So I just unlisted the lot, but you won't find a kind of presence for me at the moment on YouTube. And so I did, I'd done all of this, I'd done all of this, and then the digital nomad thing came along. And one of the requirements of the digital nomad thing is that obviously we're shitted uh, Benidorm while we're out there, that we're showing pictures of us in Benidorm, um, you know, using the resort, talking about our experiences as digital nomads. So when, when I applied for this, when I applied for this digital nomad thing and it said, you know, tell us which channels you could use to promote it, I very quickly resurrected my Facebook um, fan page, which was uh, in sleep mode. And um, 
I was still on Twitter because I'm still sort of using Twitter. And I put some posts on them to, to refresh them, to get some activity going, got some really good um, response on the activity, which was, I was thinking, oh, thank goodness for that. There are still people out there who care. And I've had to go through all these accounts that I deleted. You know, really, I need an Instagram account for this. All these accounts I've deleted, I've brought them back from the dead because although I decided not to use them as an author and to wind them down as an author, they're a really vital component of what I'm going to be doing with the Visit Benidorm project. So I've had to sort of bring them back from the dead, really. Um, so you will see me being very active on social media, but it won't be as an author. It'll be as a digital nomad sort of sharing all my experiences. Um, but talk about great timing. You know, I'd wound everything down and then I needed to bring it back really quickly. I thought I'd lost my two Instagram accounts and I was on my phone yesterday. I've put, you know, I'd removed all the apps from my phone. All the apps are back on my phone because I'm going to need them when I'm out there. And um, I was I was delighted to find that the two Instagram accounts that I've got that have been dormant for ages I was able to bring them back on my phone so thank goodness for that so you will see me having told you that I'm winding down social media if you follow me on social media you're going to see me all over the place in the next month and then interestingly I said to you about that I'd expected on this digital nomad program people to be you know Instagrammers interestingly we got some guidance from the project and one of the things they don't want is is Instagram photos. They've, they've specifically given us examples of the kind of digital content that they want. It has certain hashtags on and things like that. And they specifically want the images that we do to be about the resort, not about us. So they don't want a picture of me in me speedos on the beach, you know, leaping up with the sun in the background or anything like that. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Talk about a video nasty. Anyhow, so they don't want any of that. They don't want any of that. And they've been very clear about it. So they, they didn't want Instagram influencers. That's not what they were after. They, they're they happy to have pictures of us in the photo, but we're not supposed to be the subject of the picture. The subject of the picture is supposed to be, you know, the view, the tourist attraction, whatever it is. And we, we just we just happen to be in the picture. It's not about us. It's about Benidorm. So that, that was very interesting. Of course, that, that suits me much more. It suits me much more. The other thing that I don't think I've ever told you before is my wife has... Um, this is why my wife's been able to accompany me. She's going to be working with me, which which I love, which is great. She has a, a travel blog, and 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 really, it's more of a, an online diary, you know, for her for her purposes, really. But she's got some lovely content on it. And I showed her how to use Canva and set her up a website. And she's got a lovely. She she writes lovely articles. I wish she'd do more of it. Actually, she's not as sort of passionately engaged in all this web stuff as as I am. But I, I wish she'd do more of it because she does it really well. I think. And um, she's got a, um, a a travel blog, which records a lot of the things that we do. And, and that's going to be part of what we do. She's going to be doing some blog posts on there. And she also has an Instagram account where she puts more of the kind of holiday pictures up as well. So she's going to be um, supporting the work that I do with her channels as well. So it's all, it's all sort of very exciting stuff. So you, I will be back on social media. <laughs> Okay. The other thing I've done, this is really controversial. You, you know what I think about Goodreads. I'm not a big fan of Goodreads. And um, I won't go into the details as to why, but I'm not a big fan of Goodreads. But I was reading um, an article, I think it was in The Guardian, about 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 Goodreads. And, and a lot, I know a lot of authors are coming off it. And I think there's been some sort of scam recently where a lot of authors on Goodreads have been told that they'll get doubled with one-star reviews if they don't do something or other. And and I've always sort of felt that Goodreads is a fairly spiteful, negative place. It's not something I use. It's not something I particularly like. And I know that readers have, have talked me into using it before because they wanted to leave reviews on it. Well, um, I read a post by 
somebody who I've interviewed on this podcast before, who I respect very much and whose career I follow and who's doing very well. And this author said that they'd removed, they'd just deleted their Goodreads accounts. And I just thought, you know what? Me too. I'm out of here. So I have deleted three Goodreads accounts now. I'm not recommending that you do this, by the way. This is just me, um, you know, again, managing managing my time. Um, but I've deleted my nonfiction, my sci-fi, and my thriller Goodreads account, really because I don't like Goodreads. And also this article was saying that, you know, Goodreads is owned by Amazon. It still looks like it's from the 1990s, as far as I'm concerned. It's site design. I, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't think the the sort of consciousness that the, the group think on Goodreads is a, is a massively um, positive one in terms of reviewing it. I think, you know, everyone's a critic on Goodreads is my, is my view. So um, I thought, you know what, that's the excuse I need. I'm out of Goodreads. Now, when I started my writing career, Goodreads was great because it, it gave me prominence in the search engines. If, you're, if you've got a Goodreads account, we can find you easily online. So I'm not recommending that you do this. I'm definitely not recommending that you do this. This is, you know, any, if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you'll know there's not a lot of love lost with me and Goodreads. But having read a couple of articles, having seen this author that I know and respect um, deleting their Goodreads account, I thought, there you go, that's me, I'm done now. I'll probably live to regret it because I often do things like this in haste. But I am now removed. But please... I'm not recommending that you do this. I'm just letting you know that I have done this. Um, but it's only because I don't really like Goodreads. I need to tell you about the future of this podcast. And it's not brilliant news, I'm afraid, if you if you, if you enjoy the podcast. Um, I am, I am going to finish it. I should have finished it when I finished it last time, really. Uh, but I am going to finish the podcast, this podcast. This season is going to be made up of three diaries. This is one of them. And two interviews. There were two guests that I really wanted to talk to for the podcast who I'd said, can we talk on the show? And they'd said yes. And so I'm very, very keen to make sure that you listen to their stories and their interviews. They're people that I've met on the podcast and I really want to share their stories. So I've booked those two interviews in. In fact, you should have been hearing one of them today, but Skype made a complete technical pig's ear of it I'm not sure whether it was my computer you know whether my child is at my computer for the last nine months has done it I don't think they would have done to be honest with you because they don't really use audio on the computer but whether they've made any changes or whether it's just Skype being its usual self but um, yeah we recorded an interview and um, halfway through something happened with the sound and it's not something I can um, salvage unfortunately so we'll be repeating that interview we'll be re-recording it uh, next week so long as the, the the Wi-Fi in Spain plays ball I've got another interview to do too so just let you know the program for the podcast you've got a diary today you'll have an interview next saturday you'll have another diary the week after then another interview then i will wind it up with the final episode and that episode will you know you'll you'll so you'll get my digital nomad experiences i'll be updating you on the digital nomad experience and then this podcast will end on the 3rd of July, and that's going to be the last episode. As I say, I, I should have really wound it up uh, where, when I did wind it up after I'd done five-figure um, fiction formula. Um, and, and I was listening back to some old episodes in season four thinking, you know, I'm, yeah, I know I'm still sharing some stuff there that I think is useful. But I, I think from my point of view, I'm ready to move on from it now. I really feel like I'm ready to move on for it. So I'm just going to bring it to a, a nice close, and then the last episode will be on the 3rd of July. The other thing that I want to say about that is one of the projects that I'm going to do as part of this digital nomad scheme that I'm involved in is I'm starting a limited, well, I already have, I've set it up a limited uh, project called Benidorm Digital Nomad. And as part of the work that I do in Benidorm, I'm going to be... Uh, 
interviewing people on these day trips that we do, talking to the other digital nomads, uh, you know, just reflecting uh, why I love Benidorm and the places I like to visit, and all my top tips about Benidorm, Benidorm. So over the month that I'm there, I'm going to create this Benidorm Digital Nomad podcast. And initially, it's just going to be a one-month project. It's re- really going to be whatever I can do in the month that I'm in Benidorm, and it will support the work of Visit Benidorm. Because for a number of years, when I've been visiting Benidorm, um, I've said to my wife, I'm amazed that no one has a podcast for this resort. There's no podcast for this resort at all. Yet there are so many uh, travellers who come there. So I'm going to use this Visit Benidorm project that I'm involved in as the the motivation to create a limited issue, a limited episode, Benidorm podcast. And I'm going to see what it does and if there's an appetite for it. And if there is, I may develop that, you know, if stroke when we move out to Spain on a more permanent basis, I might use it as a, as a Spanish project, a way that I can make uh, connections, you know, network with people in Spain, get to know people in, in Spain, and also maybe generate a new podcast on a, a different subject. So I, I'm kind of moving my eggs into that basket. But at the moment, that Benidorm podcast is just going to be a a one month project um, because it can just stand alone. All the all the content that I put on there will be um, it won't be time dependent. There'll be loads of sort of you know resort information on there. So I'll just leave it on there for a month. I'm not planning to do it beyond the month. But if it does take off and it does find an audience and if there is some appetite for it, I am mindful that that could actually be a really nice project for me uh, if straight when we go to Spain on a more permanent basis. So in summary then, and apologies if you want it to go on, but that is it now. I am going to wind it up. The 3rd of July, I'm going to finish this podcast and uh, sort of move on to other things uh, in terms of writing. But I, I just feel really that I've shared everything i got to share um, on the podcast. I'm very keen to just get these last guests on um, because I've wanted to talk to them for some time um, and I want to sort of share their experiences with you. So I'm using this time just to bring the podcast to a close and then the last episode will be the 3rd of July. And I'm pretty determined that that is going to be it. The, the problem is, is that people keep writing to me saying, oh, I'm missing the podcast. You know, I, I, I miss it. I want to, you know, I want it to come back again. And, and I'm a big softy and I, I sort of relent. And I shouldn't have done that really. I should have let it... I should have let it finish when I, I, I was going to let it finish the first time. So at least you've had a bit of a, a, a reprise. You've had a couple of encores, uh, but we will finish it on the 3rd of July. And on the 3rd of July, you'll get my kind of you know final thoughts. You'll get my summary of the Digital Nomad project, which will be all but finished by then. Uh, and you'll get my kind of quarter two summary and then my look ahead about what's uh, coming next in my writing career and then I will close the podcast and the only reason I think I would bring it back or drop an episode in is for instance if if you know somebody offered me a, a film deal or somebody offered me um, you know a traditional deal or you know something massively was different that I felt that I needed to add to that stream to bring it up to date but but that will be it for regular episodes after the 3rd of July. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of BookBrush, the simplest way to create 3D book covers, box sets, sales videos, and social media images for your books. When you buy BookBrush through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. I've used Photoshop, Pixlr, and Canva, and although they're great, you can't beat BookBrush as a core component of your author armory. To check out the best image and promo creation service for indie authors, head over to paulteague.net forward slash bookbrush.
did say you're going to get a substantial podcast this week. We're running at what almost an hour, so we're gonna we're gonna make it through the hour. For those of you who like the longer episodes, I've got some general writing news that I want to share with you right now. And uh, the first, the most important part of those is I am currently caught in a KDP Select vortex of hell. <laughs> yeah, you may well have been caught in one of these before. I think I've been caught in one before, but. Um, my Don't Tell Meg book, which is currently in KDP Select, Amazon basically wrote me a note to say, we have found your Don't Tell Meg book published on a third-party site. It's not supposed to be published anywhere else. You've got five days to get it removed from this website, or you lose all your privileges in KDP Select. Now, that's not good news, of course, and five days isn't very much. So as far as I knew, it wasn't listed anywhere. They, they sent me the link, and my don't tell Meg book, and in fact, all of my KDP Select, all my exclusive thrillers, are listed on this site. So the site is a Mexican one. It's called gandhi.com.mx. Now, this is a Mexican site, as I say. I immediately went onto the help desk and said, "You've got. I don't want you to list these books. Please take them down. Uh, I got a a bland, we do not understand your English message kind of response in the help desk, which was you know, no help to me whatsoever. And I thought, oh, no, I'm here I am. You know, this is, they're speaking Spanish. I'm not going to be able to express myself. They're just basically giving me some stock reply. I'm, I'm not going to be able to get this book taken down. So I put a post in self-publishing formula. I said, has anybody had this experience? Do you know how to solve it? It turns out that there are lots of Amazon exclusive authors. And I, I did a check on Mark Dawson's as well. Mark Dawson's books are in there. And, and I think he's Amazon exclusive now. So I'm not the only one. And, and lots of people came out of the woodwork on my post saying, I've just checked my books and they're there too. So there is a problem with KDP Select Books being on this Mexican site, gandhi.com.mx. If you are KDP Select, I strongly recommend that if you've been listed wide in the past, it won't happen if you've always been Amazon exclusive, but if you've ever been listed wide in the past, your books might still be on this gandhi.com.mx website, like mine are, all my thrillers are. So I did a little bit of digging, and as far as I can see, these books, um, this Gandhi site, has a link with Kobo. And what it looks like is that because my thrillers have been listed on Kobo in the past, Kobo has delisted my books, but it looks like the message hasn't got through to this Gandhi.com site. That's the, that's I, I think that's what's happening. So I've written to Kobo, and Kobo are investigating it on my behalf. I have every faith in Kobo because you know they're a great business. So I, I know that if there is a, an anomaly there, Kobo will be on it. I wrote to the KDP Select people, the Amazon people, and said, look, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm kind of stuck with a third party. I'm working on it, but it ain't going to happen in five days. And so Amazon have got back to me and they said, okay, we do need this book removed, but you've got 60 days to work on it. So I got, I got two months to work on it now. So I'm, I'm reasonably confident I can get this resolved within two months. And the other thing is actually, I'm sure that within two months, I think my books are coming out of KDP Select anyway, so it won't even be a problem then because they'll be listed wide again. But it is a long-term problem and it might be a problem for you if you are listed in KDP Select and you need not to have your books listed anyway. So I, I'm urging you to check your books if you're in KDP Select and they've ever been listed wide because you may find that they're on this gandhi.com.mx website. And it's it looks like like it's causing problems for a number of authors. So um, if it is Kobo, they need to sort this out. They need to make sure these books are getting delisted. So another reason why I wanted to mention this is when you think back to when I was spending thousands and thousands of pounds on a credit card on Facebook ads for my, when I, when I had my five-figure months and I said to you how nervous I was, this is the sort of thing 
if they'd have found that 12-pack book, for instance, listed wide, and they were threatening me on five days because the threat they make is that I think, I think you're not going to get your page reads, you're not going to get your bonuses, that would have been worth thousands of pounds to me when that was going on. I mean, that would have been a real big problem because I would have lost the money that was going to pay for the credit card advertising that I'd done. So this is serious stuff. Now, it can't harm me now because I'm not doing the level of sales that I was doing, but that would have been hugely, I would have, well, I would have had sleepless nights. Uh, I'd be working that on that 24-7 if I'd have got caught with that when I was putting all that money on credit card bills. So that's why I was so worried about about things at that time because I, you know, it was all on credit card bills. I knew I'd earned the money. I knew I was earning the money to pay those bills back, but I didn't get the money for another three months. And if you then got um, sort of walloped by something like this, something that's out of your control, you've got big problems on at that point. So it's just worth bearing that in mind. You are very vulnerable to things like that when you list KDP Select. And that could have brought me down, basically. Something like this could have brought me down during those six-figure months. So, I, you know, I wasn't exaggerating when I was saying that I'm really nervous and I want that money in the bank so I can pay the adverts back when I was doing my five-figure stuff. I really did want that money in the bank so I couldn't get hit by something like this. So the reason that they'd noticed Don't Tell Meg was, wait for it, drumroll please, I got a BookBub on Don't Tell Meg while it was Amazon exclusive. There's something that BookBub love Don't Tell Meg. I, I don't know why they love it, but they do. That must be the fifth or the sixth BookBub I've had on Don't Tell Meg. And they've let me have Amazon exclusive BookBubs and they've let me have wide BookBubs. So I'm not complaining. That BookBub ran on the 17th of May. And it's done what it always does. It's, it's, um, I gave away loads of free copies, nowhere near as many copies as I did the first time. First time, I think we were in the 30,000s. I, I haven't totted up how many we did, but I think it was about, I think it, off the top of my head, I think it was about 15,000 maybe to, to 20,000. You know, still, still a lovely number of copies. But what I am seeing, you know, very strongly is the buy through. People are buying, um, what's it called? The murder place. They're buying the forgotten children and they're buying the, box set as well. So I can see that the Don't Tell Meg trilogy has moved into my, my best-selling books behind the 12th pack, which is still my best-selling book. That's still doing really well. It's still getting loads of um, you know comments on Facebook. Um, it's nowhere near the scale of what I was doing in my five-figure months. I, it just won't take that scale of, of advertising now. But in the smaller scale of advertising I'm doing, it, it still is bringing me 100% profit on my ad spend, but nowhere near, absolutely nowhere near what it was doing when I was doing the, the five-figure months. And what, what I, I've come to the conclusion I did say to you at the time, I think it was because I started the adverts in the January before COVID really kicked off. I always felt that it wasn't to do with COVID, but actually it quite clearly was to do with COVID because I just shifted loads and loads of books and I cannot ramp it up to the scale that it was when I was doing those five-figure months. It's fine. It's profitable. I haven't changed the ads in, in, in almost, what, one and a half years? It's still the same ad copy. Uh, I haven't changed anything about it. And so with smaller um, budgets... It's still bringing 100% profit in, but that profit is nowhere near what it was in the five-figure months. So it's been great to have a BookBub again. Uh, th that's been fantastic. And, and, I, and obviously, BookBubs always bring money in. Again, that book's been flogged to death on, on BookBub, so it doesn't bring anywhere near the income that it used to. Uh, but it does. it is obviously very profitable, and it does. what it does is it, it goes to... Um, to I've got all sorts of things going now. My, uh, you know, Amazon ads are doing well with my non-fiction books. So my podcast book particularly seems to be doing very well. The, the BookBub has has increased the income 
on the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. The 12 pack is always doing extremely well. So you put those three things together and, that, and that they all help to give you a really good sort of um, income month. Uh, but the book bub is nowhere near as good as it was. The 12 pack sales are nowhere as good as they were. Uh, you, you know, so all these things help. And, and this is what I was saying right at the beginning of the podcast. When you've got more books, when you've got more components, it matters less because you, you've got more things that you can work with to make sure that you sustain that income. But obviously, I was very, very pleased to have a BookBub promo, particularly as Don't Tell Meg is in KDP Select at the moment. I also, now I know I'm not allowed to talk in any detail about these, but I had a Kindle deal nomination on Amazon. Uh, the deal's running in, in, in May and July, so I can take, I'm going to take my thrillers out of KDP Select when that, that deal is finished at the end of, of July. Um, and during that period, Amazon handled the price and they, they, they give me a set fee, which I'm not allowed to talk about. And, uh, you know, basically they, 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 they look at my 12 pack. They say, we think we can make you know, money out of that during a set period in the promotion. They pay me a certain amount of money to cover what they think that they can very safely make. And, um, and off they go. And it just happens invisibly in the background. So because that, that book now has has sort of done really well and made loads of sales. It's interesting that Amazon are coming and, and, and offering me little deals and arrangements as well on that book. I wanted to mention um, Matty Dalrymple's podcast. Matty had reached out to me. Matty does the Indie Author podcast, which I know I've recommended before. Matty did a wonderful interview with somebody who uses um, Google Books, and um, there are some you know some lovely interviews on there. And Matty also does this little author summary at the beginning, um, saying what she's been up to in her author career. So I just wanted to recommend to you another Indie Author podcast that I'm getting value from at the moment. It's uh, Matty Dalrymple and the podcast URL is theindieauthor.com and indie is spelt I-N-D-Y theindieauthor.com um, any links I've I've referred to I will put in the show notes for this week and incidentally if you're interested in hearing my kind of digital nomad adventures it won't be about writing it will be about being a digital nomad it will be about Benidorm but if you want to follow that along I've also put the link to my Benidorm Digital Nomad podcast there. At the moment, if you go to it today, as I'm recording this, all you'll find is a bit of audio that's uh, testing audio. Um, I've got some lovely Spanish music, and I'm in the process of mixing a little intro and outro jingle. But I won't start that properly until next week, until the Digital Nomad program begins. But if you want to follow my adventures out in Benidorm, that's where you'll hear it on that Digital Nomad podcast. We're nearly there. A couple of little bits and pieces I just want to mop up. Um, I when I sent the not the secret bunker when I sent Don't Tell Meg for a book bub. I also tried my science fiction. And when I've managed my science fiction and my thrillers, I've always considered them as as being something completely different. So I might submit a science fiction book and a thriller book at the same time and I've never had any problems with that and there was a time when I once had a thriller bookbub and a sci-fi bookbub but when I sent the secret bunker recently I got a, a note from bookbub saying you can't do that that whatever your author names are we you know you're only allowed to submit one author name one book per month and so when I queried that, the, the person on the, the help desk said, said, the recent author restriction holds across categories because readers may be signed up to both categories. We want to ensure we're providing a diversity of books and authors to folks who receive our featured deal emails. So basically they were saying you can't, you know, put, you can't separate your sci-fi and your thrillers. 
so that's bad news for me because I, I usually have a cycle. You know, I have a cycle of thrillers that I put in for, for book bubs and a cycle of, of, of sci-fi, and they don't take any account of each other. Now, that's the first time it's happened to me, so I'm going to ignore it for now, and I am just going to keep submitting books as I always have done, and, and I'm going to wait until somebody tells me two or three times. What, what I'm basically making sure is, you know what it's like when you deal with Amazon, and, and now in this case, BookBub, you get different people on the help desk applying the rules differently or interpreting the rules differently. I want to make sure that this isn't somebody interpreting the rules differently, because I've never had this come up before when I've, when I've had multiple submissions in different genres to BookBub. So I will still continue to put my different genres in and I wait until I'm told this another couple of times just to make sure that it's not one person interpreting the rules differently from everybody else because I suspect that's what it might be at the moment um, but I just thought I'd flag that up to you if you write in multiple genres because that's a bit of a nuisance and I have to say I don't agree with it if you read one of my sci-fi books that doesn't follow you're going to read one of my thrillers and and vice versa and I write under different author names as well uh, and, and you know uh, there are different accounts in bookbub uh, bookbub take my money for different um, ad deals um, for different author names so as I say I'm not I'm not convinced about this so I will continue to to just do as I've always done until I'm told you know I get three strikes and I'm out I'll wait till I've got my three strikes and then I'll think all right okay well that is that is a rule that is being applied across the board I thought I'd mention it though in case you write in multiple genres because it, it might come back and bite you as well I've put on the show notes a link from uh, a screenwriter for telly a guy called Chris Lang and Chris Lang I I'd not heard of before, but we've been watching since our return to the UK on On Demand TV a series called uh, Is it Un- Unforgotten? It's called Unforgotten, and it's when you know when you discover a series you didn't know about, and um, and there were four series of it, and they were brilliant. This this series is a, a UK series. It's a very cerebral kind of psychological thriller called Unforgotten, and, and my wife and I we loved this. It's brilliant. And the same chap when I when I started doing some digging on him, he also writes a series that I've watched before called um, Is it Innocent or The Innocent? I think it's called Innocent. And he, we've just watched season two of Innocent as well. And when I was checking him out online, he puts his uh, TV scripts or some of his TV scripts online for aspiring writers so that you can sort of see how a TV script works and what it looks like. So I just wanted to recommend this. If you write thrillers and you're interested in seeing how thrillers are, are written for for TV, the web URL is chrislang.co.uk. Now, again, for my taste, this guy is writing exactly the kind of stuff that I want to write. That's why I'm so interested in it. But it's fascinating looking at the scripts and, and seeing how, you know, I would write a book as a psychological thriller. And somebody like Chris would do the same sort of story, but would build that tension up, um, you know, through characters on a screen visually in a different way from us. So I just thought that was an interesting exercise. And he's been very generous in the scripts that he shared online. Wanted to recommend another podcast to you. I haven't had time to listen to this yet, but it's one of these things that we all need to clock, I think. If you use Scrivener, Scrivener have just released their first new podcast episodes. They have a podcast now called Right Now with Scrivener, and they're basically talking to authors who use Scrivener and getting tips about how they use it and how they use it in their author business. Now, I, I use Scrivener um, at the moment for my writing. I like using Scrivener, and I just thought that if you use Scrivener, that's something it's worth clocking. It sounds to me like the kind of podcast I'll dip in and out of but it'll be very useful to get those lovely little gold nugget tips that you could use for things that you never knew that you could do with Scrivener 
So that's called the Right Now with Scrivener podcast, and I have put the URL, the web link, on this week's show notes. Okay, the last thing today is Ingram Spark. I think I mentioned to you in the last season of Diaries that Ingram Spark, I've, I've got my paperbacks listed on Ingram Spark. I make sure that they're not doubled up on Create Space. So if you use the same ISBN when you list the books on Ingram Spark and Amazon, it, uh, Ingram Spark doesn't push the books in duplicates to Amazon. But to be honest with you, there's no controls over where else the books get distributed on Ingram Spark. So although I'm listed on Ingram Spark, I haven't got a clue where I'm listed. And I have said to you in a previous episode that I was looking at my Ingram Spark paperback sales, and although I haven't got a clue who's finding the books or where they're getting them, I seem to be selling a reasonable number of paperbacks on Ingram Spark. Well, I looked, I just got my numbers back for May. And I don't even really look at them very closely. But I just found out that on Ingram Spark, with me having zero knowledge of how I'm doing this, and I'm certainly not promoting them, I sold 107 paperbacks via Ingram Spark in the, in the month of May. Now, I don't usually take much notice of paperbacks because it's not the core component of my business. And the way I price my paperbacks, I think I usually make about a pound on each one, something like that. Um, but I thought, oh, 107 paperbacks. I also happened to see the other day that I am also selling paperbacks through CreateSpace. So I thought, you know, we're getting to a stage here where we're maybe selling 150 to 200 paperbacks. And I'm, absolutely, I'm doing absolutely nothing to help that at all other than having them listed. But I thought that was it was worth me mentioning that because... If you do have paperbacks, and I always always would strongly recommend that you do have paperbacks as a service to readers, I've certainly always had paperbacks, even though it's not a core component of my business. I make most of my money from ebooks. You should also put them in Ingram Spark because if I'm selling that number of paperbacks, and I haven't really a clue how I'm doing it, this is just me selling paperbacks through Ingram Spark's distribution channels. I'm also getting paperback sales through Amazon as well. You know, you can't you can't sniff at the amount of income that that's bringing in. And what it made me think is that rather than just making sure I make a dollar or, or, or a pound on a paperback, I really ought to take some time to look at the pricing on the paperbacks to see if I could bump that price up a little bit on the paperbacks and, and, and continue to make that number of sales and maybe start to take a little bit more profit out of my paperback sales. But in terms of learning points, if you've got a paperback, don't just list it on Amazon. Make sure it's also listed on Ingram Spark because all 107 of those sales are sales that I have made no effort whatsoever, other than listing the book in the first place. I've made no effort whatsoever to make those sales. They are naturally occurring within Ingram Spark's infrastructure. And I don't think any of us should be, you know, sniffed at 107 sales, however we make them. Okay, that is it for this week. That's season four, episode one of the podcast. If everything goes to plan when we fly out on Sunday, the next time you hear a diary from me on the 19th of June in two weeks' time, I'll be speaking to you from Benidorm. <laughs> if I'm speaking to you from the UK, it all went pear-shaped at the last minute. They wouldn't let me fly or something like that. Next week, I'm going to have an interview with horror writer Dan Sewell. Dan and I have been talking on Twitter and social media for a long time. Dan's doing all sorts of interesting things online, and I'm really keen to share all that with you in an interview. So I wanted to make sure I, I interviewed Dan before I wound down the podcast. So you'll hear my interview with Dan next Saturday instead of a diary, and then the next diary is going to be on the 19th of June. So until then, have a great week of writing from me, Paul Teague. Bye-bye for now. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.net forward slash podcast. 
If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. That's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, bye-bye for now.